0: In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So if you'll welcome Janelle Green up, she's going to share with us today. Just going to feed back. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, good morning. How's everybody doing today? Good. Okay, well, this morning we're going to continue our study in the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 10 today. So if you have your Bible or your Bible app and you want to turn to John chapter 10, that's what we'll be reading out of the verses are up here. Before we get started, I do want to ask, has anyone ever thought about the original language that the Bible was written in? Is that something we ever think about? What language do you think the Bible was written in? What do you think the original language is? And there's a couple right answers, so you can guess and it might be right. Okay. I heard Hebrew. What else? Greek. Greek. Yeah. So the old Testament is mostly Hebrew. There's a little Aramaic in there, especially after the exile. And the new Testament is Greek. So this is something I thought about, is where does Greek come from? You know, Hebrew makes sense to me. Aramaic makes sense to me. But but where's Greek showing up? You know, I know at the time that the New Testament was written, they were controlled by Rome. But Rome is from Italy. They spoke Latin. Why are we getting Greek in the New Testament? Is this something you've ever wondered or thought about? Well, believe it or not, the reason behind why the Israelites spoke Greek at the time of the new Testament and the problems that the Greek influence caused in their culture is going to be something that's referenced in our text today. And it's another one of those quick comments, those quick verses that represents a whole history to the Jewish audience who's reading these verses when it's first written. And it's another quick thing that we would probably as today as American Christians, this time would probably skip over without a second thought. So we're going to get into that, but, but before we do, I want to give some context for where we're at in the Gospel of John. John has been intentional about the connections that are made to these old stories, these Old Testament stories. Not only how does this show how the Old Testament is fulfilled, it also brings more depth and reason to these stories. And it also shows how these two stories, the Old Testament and the New Testament, are not separate works, but they're one unified story. So that being said, the reason behind the Greek language being used in the stories that we're going to learn about today and the context for it is actually not found in the Old Testament. And it's not found in the New Testament. It's found in the space between. We're going to talk more about it in a minute, but first I want to mention where we are in the gospel of John. So last week we talked about Jesus and he referred to himself as the good shepherd he's telling the crowd he's a good shepherd who sacrifices himself for the sheep. He's using that metaphor. That is a metaphor that the common person would be able to easily understand. And Jesus uses this symbolism not only to represent his heart and care for the people and protection for the people, but he uses this symbolism to contrast against the religious leaders of that time who are using fear and coercion instead of care and compassion. So let's go ahead and jump into where we are today. We're going to be reading verses 22 and 23 together. It was now winter and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah, the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section known as Solomon's colonnade. Okay, so this is kind of fun. There's a few things I want to point out here. First is that we want to remember John's gospel is not written in chronological order. It was written in thematic order okay? And we also want to be paying attention. If anyone's been paying attention, they might notice we've jumped from one festival to another, and those are months apart. And now, chronological order is something that's really important to our culture today and the credibility of retelling a story, but that was not as important to the gospel writers and the Middle Eastern culture at that time. So John is not writing this hoping we don't notice the discrepancies in time. He's writing this hoping we do notice the thematic connections that are being made. Another thing I want to point out that we've pointed out in the past is that the bible authors when they are describing a time and place and the scenery and things like that they're doing so for a reason you know they're not like you or me where we include or maybe it's just me where we include unnecessary details you know sometimes i'm talking to matt and i'm like wait why was i telling you i found lint in the dryer and he's like honestly i don't know anymore (laughs) he's not like me he's not like us so we want to take note if the biblical authors are mentioning a time or location it's for a reason and it's probably making a connection to a specific time in jewish history that they want the readers to be thinking about so let's look at the location he says the location is called solomon's colonnade now this is a part of the temple where jewish people men women and gentiles would all converge You know, in the temple at that time, there's a space for the high priest. And then there's a space for the religious leaders and then the men and then the women and then the Gentiles. And here's Jesus where everybody can be. John also notes that this is taking place during Hanukkah, the festival of dedication, which is going to be our connection to Greek and the reason that it's written as the language for the New Testament. See, sometimes we think about the Old Testament and the exile that they faced and we we see the Israelites coming back to Israel after the exile and the Old Testament kind of ends at that point And there can be a thought to think like and they lived happily ever after But there's actually 500 years between when the Old Testament ended and the New Testament began And the story we're going to be talking about is in that space So there's about 200 years of history that i'm going to try to explain in five minutes set a timer and uh, anybody who's really well like known, like knows this history very well. They might wince at the details in the way that I paraphrase this, but I got five minutes. So bear with me. So 350 years before Jesus, long time before Jesus, a guy named Alexander the Great was on the scene. Have we heard of Alexander the Great? Yes. Okay. So he conquered a huge part of the known world in a very short amount of time. His empire was vast. There's not, there's nothing like it. And Alexander the Great, Conquered Israel in that time. And another thing about Alexander the Great was that he was Greek, and he was a proud Greek. Now, Alexander the Great did not stay around on the scene for very long. He died, but his successors took over, and they maintained control over Israel for 200 years. So, for 200 years, Israel is controlled by Greek leaders and Greek influence, and the Greek language becomes a part of their culture, and the Greek religion starts to seep into their culture. Now, this goes on for 200 years. And at 200 years, it comes to a boiling point, And this is where the story of Hanukkah comes in. The Greek leader at the time decides that Israel is a threat. And seeing a threat decides to outlaw Judaism. He not only outlaws Judaism, he decides to heavily and severely persecute the people in Israel for three years. For three years, they lost their temple. Their temple became a place for pagan worship and sacrifice. The holy temple in the Old Testament. Pigs were slaughtered in there. Things were intentionally defiled. The sacredness was lost. And the people at Israel were told that they had to worship the Greek ruler at the time. And the Greek ruler said, he was the image of God. And that's who they should worship. And that if they don't, there's a penalty of death. For three years, this went on until a man named Judas Maccabeus, Maccabeus shows up on the scene. And this is where the story of Hanukkah comes in. Judas Maccabeus gathers an army called the Maccabees and he tells the people of Israel, it is time to fight for our country. It is time to fight for our religion. We're taking it back. And through a series of bloody battles and really a series of miracles, the little guy in this story is able to win. The Maccabees take back Jerusalem and he marches through the city with people waving palm branches to celebrate. If we know the New Testament, we go, oh, (laughs) We recognize that with Jesus, they wave palm branches as he rides to the temple and he cleanses it from pagan worship. And this is where the story of the menorah comes in because there was only enough oil to light the lamp for one day, but it miraculously lasted for eight days. And they were able to use that time to get new oil and cleanse it for the temple. So there you go. Now is the story of Hanukkah in five minutes. <laughs> um, But, you know, John, when he mentions the story of Hanukkah at this time, the Jewish audience is thinking of this story. And not the five-minute version, but the story they've been told year after year. They know the details. They know the victory. They know what they're celebrating. And so, you know, if we were to mention Christmas in a story, we might think of snow or tree or presents. Maybe Jesus as a baby, hopefully. You know, but we would have all these different things that come to mind. So when John mentions Hanukkah, his audience is thinking of this. They're thinking of this victory. And so now, if you didn't know, you know why the New Testament is written in Greek because Greek people were in charge of the Israelites for hundreds of years. Okay, so let's keep going and uh, continue with verse 24 and see how this story plays into what we're gonna learn today. The people surrounded him. They surrounded Jesus and they asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus replied, I've already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is in the work I do in my father's name, but you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. The father and I are one. So this is where things get a little tricky because the Israelites are expecting their Messiah to be like the Maccabees. They're expecting that it would be like the Maccabean revolt and the Messiah would come in, swords out, battling it out, not with the Greek leaders, but with the Roman leaders who are now oppressing them. And that he would march into the temple to cleanse it like before. But instead, what they've got is a man using similar words that the enemy used he's declaring himself to be one with God. This is a scandalous claim. You know, we read this and go, what's the problem? Jesus is God. Duh. Didn't you know that already? But they read it and they go, what is going on? (laughs) This isn't right. This isn't how it's supposed to be. And why is he using those words, the words of the enemy, the words of the forces who persecuted us? This is why context is important here because the people against Jesus, they hear these words and they hear what they want to hear. They hear confirmation that Jesus couldn't possibly be the Messiah because God wouldn't say what he is saying. But what is Jesus saying? They ask him. They say, please tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. And he responds by saying, I've already told you, but you don't believe me. And then he encourages the crowds to look at his works. Look at my works. Do they line up with my words? Look at my works. Do they line up with God's words? And he goes on to say, but you won't believe my works and my actions either. You will not believe my words or my actions because you are not my sheep. Jesus in the temple space for everyone where jewish people can be where gentiles can be religious leaders men women and he's making bold claims not only about who he is but who we are and we learn from this section of verses that because jesus is god we belong as his people this is what jesus is telling us in these verses he declares openly that he and god the father are one and the reason that jesus's followers are so special is because of how special jesus is Embracing the reality of who Jesus is and that he and God are the same is critical in our Christian faith. If Jesus and God were not the same, then the declarations that Jesus is making about himself and his followers would lose all of their power. But because Jesus is God, we can stand firm in knowing that we belong with him, that we are his sheep. Did you know that... 15 to 24-year-olds, which I know we have some in this room, 15 to 24-year-olds have about 70% less social interaction than they did 20 years ago. 20 years ago, 70% less. Did you know that there is a loneliness epidemic in our country and that some scientists estimate that physical damage to our health that loneliness can cause is the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day? This is huge. This is a huge problem and a real problem that we are facing in our country today. You know, the increase of technology, the pandemic, there is a variety of factors that have led to this, but loneliness, we know, can be painful, and it can sound like it has a very strong effect on our emotional and physical well-being. You know, I'm surrounded by people. I have a family that loves me. Oh, brag much? No, I do. And, uh, and I still feel lonely sometimes. It's a strange thing, but that despite my best efforts to communicate how I'm feeling and what I'm going through and their best efforts to understand what I'm going through, no one around me is really fully capable of understanding how I'm feeling. But the shepherd, he knows my voice and he knows your voice. He knows us. And if we listen to him, we can hear him calling to tell us that he loves us. That we belong with him. And we don't have to do this by ourselves anymore. I do think that this sense of belonging is meant to be extended to the people around us. I don't think it's meant for each one of us just to individually have that sense of belonging with Christ. But we belong to Christ together. And that's why it's so important for us to try to build community here. You know, I know we have small groups in the fall and in the spring, and we use those as a way to try to get to know each other. And I know people have told me that it's not enough. And I would agree, yeah, it's not enough. And we do events like Water Day, and in a few weeks we're going to do a trivia event that I'm really excited about. But people tell me it's not enough. And I'd say, I agree, it's not enough. So I'd like to invite everybody here. If you have an idea on how to build community, come and talk to me. Listen, maybe the idea, not all of our ideas work. I say one out of ten of mine, we see the light of day. But talk to me. Let's figure it out together. You know, the people on staff, we're a bunch of introverts. We don't do this very well. So we'd love your help if you have ways, and we, that, and ways that we can build community here. And if you're someone here that is struggling to get plugged in and struggling to find their sense of belonging, come and talk to me. I can't promise that I can fix it and make everything better, but at least you don't have to go through it alone. You can work on it together. Let's. There is no place for a loneliness epidemic among Christians. Right? Let's all do our part to make that better. Okay, so... Right after Jesus tells us that we belong, Jesus says in verse 28 that anyone who believes in him will receive eternal life. So Jesus also is telling us in these verses that because he is God, we receive eternal life. And a lot of times I would hear those statements like we receive eternal life and I would translate that as I will go to heaven when I die. Does anybody else? And I do think I will go to heaven when I die, but Jesus is saying this statement in the present that the life begins now. You know, we receive so many gifts that are mentioned in this short section of verses, and I think that they're easy for me at least to overlook. Like, yeah, I know, I get to live forever. What else you got? I've heard that one. And maybe that's because life is hard now. I mean, what do I do now? And I don't know. I don't don't always know what we should be doing right now. But I think that remembering this gift from God can help us in keeping an eternal perspective. eternal perspective in what's going on and remembering that this life is not all there is. And yes, there is a brokenness to this world that we may be experiencing on a daily basis, but this brokenness is not the end of the story. God has made a way for us to last forever. And what a huge blessing that is that Jesus gives that. And he does this, you know, we don't have to get this to, we don't have to complete an obstacle course in order to get this. We don't have to raise a certain amount of money or apply for club membership. We just have to believe, and it's ours. After explaining to his followers that they will receive eternal life for following him when they follow him, Jesus goes on to say that no one is more powerful than God or capable of snatching people out of his hand. So that we we learn from this that because Jesus is God, our place with God is secure. And this is a shift between judaism and christianity that i want to point out is that before jesus these religious battles and this security was one with a sword but jesus he calls us to a higher calling you know in the day back before jesus this was one like the maccabees fighting their enemy in battle they took back their religion and their country with bloody battles but we are christians we are secure in christ we don't have to worry a bit about that So what you're saying Janelle that when I feel my faith is being threatened, I don't fight back No, of course we fight back. Of course we fight back. We must fight back with everything in us But we are christians and we follow christ's example. What did he do with his enemies? I'm not saying we don't fight back. Of course we fight back But not with a sword We are never called to fight our religious battles in the ways of this world. Here's how we fight back. Here's how we remain strong and steadfast. Here is how we follow Jesus' example. We fight back by loving our enemies. We fight back by turning the other cheek. We fight back with radical forgiveness, especially to those who don't deserve it we fight back by filling up five gallon buckets of grace and pouring it out everywhere like spilled paint that leaves a mark. We don't take back our religion with violence like the Maccabees. The Maccabees are not our Messiah. Our Messiah fights back with sacrificial love, which has proven to be more powerful than any man-made weapon. we have a secure place in christ a place that no ruler or force is capable of removing us from nothing can separate us from christ's love right okay good (laughs) so the crowds have asked jesus to to speak plainly tell us honestly who you are and jesus tells them honestly who he is he shows his kind and generous heart towards humanity so let's see how the crowds respond to it once again, they picked up stones to kill him. Cool. <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious that people are always wanting Jesus to explain who he is. And while he does, they're just like, uh-huh. And they're just picking up stones. Sure, yeah, no, keep going. <laughs> like, this, is a, this is a regular response when Jesus tries to describe himself. So let's see how Jesus responds to them wanting to kill him. Jesus said, At my father's direction, I have done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? <laughs> yeah, get him, Jesus. They replied, We're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus replied, It is written in your own scriptures that God said to certain leaders of the people, I say you are gods. And you know that the scriptures cannot be altered. So if those people who received God's message were called gods, why do you call it blasphemy when I say I am the son of God? After all, the father set me apart and sent me into the world. Don't believe me unless I carry out my father's work But if I do his work Believe in the evidence and miraculous works I have done Even if you don't believe me Then you will know and understand the father is in me And I am in the father Once again they tried to arrest him but he got away and left them This is the last one He went beyond the Jordan River near the place where John was first baptizing And stayed there a while And many followed him John didn't perform miraculous signs. They remarked to one another, but everything he said about this man has come true. And many who were there believed in Jesus. So I do love Jesus's initial response, which is for what good work are you trying to stone me? But again, Jesus is holding up his actions as his accountability for and proof of who he is. And then Jesus is quoting Psalm 82, 6, where God himself calls the judges of Israel gods, but gods with a little g, meaning that, they, when they, meaning that when they represented God's word and will, they acted as God in the world. And what Jesus quotes here is a passage where God is pointing out the Israelites and their judges' failure to rightly represent him. And so even when God gave him this great opportunity to do so, so Jesus here in this quote is subtly or not so subtly contrasting the failure of Israel to live up to the lofty calling, but how Jesus himself is fulfilling it. And then he goes on to say, look, okay, even if you don't like what I'm saying, can you at least recognize what I'm doing? Can you recognize that it's in harmony with the father? He's offering them one more chance to just be open to what he's doing. You know, I was listening to my dad's teaching a few weeks ago and I was thinking about this pattern that we're seeing in John where Jesus is showing himself or explaining himself and like the negative feedback constantly. You know, there's a, there's a rhythm of he does a miracle and they want to arrest him. He explains who he is like in this verse and they want to stone him. I kept thinking, this is a miracle that we even know who Jesus is today. Because by our human standards, this could look like just a string of failures that led to death on a cross. You know, if I were trying to put together a successful mission for Jesus today, a successful Jesus campaign, it would probably involve like some great marketing strategy or getting people to help with that. That would, you know, culminate in sold out arena concerts. You know, in our culture, that's like the height of success is having those sold out concerts where maybe getting tickets to see him is really hard. But if you know a disciple, they'll let you in (laughs) you know our ways of success would probably build a system that makes jesus so powerful and untouchable no one can get near him but where is jesus in these verses he's in solomon's colonnade solomon's porch he's yes among the religious elite but also the poor also the men also the women also the gentiles and this wasn't his failure this was his success jesus tells us and shows us that because jesus is god the advance of his kingdom is unstoppable it doesn't matter if it looks like failure or success jesus's power and plan is unstoppable and this is not because of our efforts this is because of who jesus is jesus isn't looking to us going oh i really hope they figure this out this could all fall apart if Janelle's teaching isn't perfect. Or if so-and-so doesn't convince their neighbor to come to church, everything I've worked on could be ruined. He's not wringing his hands and hoping we don't mess this up for us. Jesus doesn't need us, but he wants us. You know, one of my favorite things to do in my free time is cooking. I love cooking. I love like learning how to make things from scratch. It's my favorite. And one of the things I love to do regularly, twice this week, is make pasta. <laughs> And uh, I love to make pasta with not just anyone, but with my kids. I have a four-year-old and a 10-year-old. Now, I don't need my kids in order to make this pasta, but I want them with me. You know, my son, he likes to sit on the counter and crack the eggs, and he's four, and I have to watch him, because if I'm not careful, he crushes it in his hand to show me how strong he is, (laughs) and uh, I'm like, oh, they've got to pull the eggshells out. Uh, It's it's fun, and then my daughter, you know, loves to mix the dough and knead it, and the time of making pasta with them takes twice as long than if I were to do it on my own, but I still want them with me. I still love sharing this with them. I love that they get to grow up knowing how to do this and maybe share it with their kids, and when my kids help me with pasta and making this, I'm not scared that it's not going to work. I'm not scared we won't have pasta at the end. I'm watching them. I'm guiding them. And I'm certain we're going to have what we need when this is over. There's no fear. They don't have fear either. They're not constantly like, I hope mom knows what she's doing. I hope this works. No, they, they trust me. They know to trust me. I know what I'm doing. They don't know what they're doing. That's okay. They're with me someone's hearing this, like, I hear what you're saying. We need pasta for lunch. (laughs) Yes, you do. But also I'm saying that we can trust God and his plan to set things right. We can trust that we are invited to join him in this work and work on this together. We don't have to be afraid that this is going to fail. It is finished. This means we don't have to be scared of things that might look like failure on the surface level this might have looked like failure on the surface level when people picked up stones to try to stone jesus but what does it say in verse 42 who still has their bible open and, in that place, many believed in jesus. and many who were there believed in jesus Listen, the corrupt temple leaders, the Romans, the Vikings, the Islamic wars, the secularist movements, they've all tried to eradicate Christianity and they have all faded into history and we are still here. People may rant and rave and try to use fear to convince us that if we don't act now, Christianity will be lost. But I don't have faith that anyone has the power to stop what God has started. I don't go to bed with a single worry about that. Not a one. The kingdom of heaven is unstoppable. Christ made sure of that. Let's have confidence in this Lord that we serve. Let's embrace Jesus as God and all of the possibilities that that implies. Let's find our sense of belonging. In him and let's look for ways that we can reinforce that belonging by creating and cultivating community right here and let's take a deep breath and have confidence that jesus will never let us go from his hands we don't have to do this alone we belong with him and our god will not quit until all things are set right There's peace to be found in that frame of mind. Right on? All right, let's pray. God, I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you for sending Jesus to love us and for giving us a place of belonging with you, that in the middle of a loneliness epidemic, we can be with you and we can learn more about you through the people around us. God, we give you our hearts. We give you our hands and our feet. And we, we ask you to use us in this battle for our religion. Help us to be brave enough to fight back by loving our enemy, to fight back by turning the other cheek. We know your ways are more powerful than the ways of this world. And we surrender our ways to you. We love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen. God, for this amazing grace you've poured out on us. Please empower us and help us to pour that grace out everywhere we go. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's speak this blessing over each other. If you need prayer for anything, I'll be up here. If you want to talk about anything, if you're like, I have just the idea to build community, uh, come and talk to me. Let's figure it out together. All right, let's speak this together. May Christ be a light to illumine and guide you Christ be a shield to overshadow you. Christ be under you. Christ be over you. Christ beside you. On your left and on your right, both in this world and the one to come. Go in peace, you children of God.